great to see you here this morning. I, um, I, uh, marriage, <laughs> that's where we're at right now, right? In our text. I'm sure there's some uh, husbands who are like, I'm dragging my wife to church today. Need to hear what biblical marriage is. And I'm sure that there's some wives going. I'm glad my husband's here to hear from God's word on what biblical marriage is. And uh, we want our marriages to be Christ-centered. We, uh, it, it's, this is quite the topic. And, uh, and I think where we're at, this really had turned out this morning to be an introduction. We're going to be in this text probably at least another week after, after Mark Christopher. And I want to lay some background that really ties into where we were uh, in, the, in the passages in the past few weeks. And uh, the past few weeks, we've been looking at this. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? And uh, as we looked at that, we see that all those who are saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, we are to be controlled and moved by the Holy Spirit. To see, to be filled with the Spirit is that the Spirit is the power that moves us towards Christ-likeness. And this filling of the Spirit is not this event, it's not one of these things that comes and goes, but it's a continual reality for those who are in Christ, that we are to be filled with the Spirit. And we saw a description of those who are filled with the Spirit. Under the Holy Spirit's control, we live lives that are joyful. Remember we talked about that? We sing and make melody with all your heart to the Lord. You see, our heart, our joy, our affections come from within, and we praise God, and we have lives of joy. Those who are saved by Jesus Christ, we must be joyful. Isn't it the saddest thing to see a sour Christian? It shouldn't happen. It's not who we are. You see, we know now, we spent three chapters just being caught in an avalanche of God's grace seeing all that he's done for us. And so, under the Spirit's control, we're singing, we're making melody with all your heart. We address one another differently than the world addresses each other. We address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We speak of God. We talk about what he's doing, who he is, and the joy that he brings us. Under the guidance and the control of the Holy Spirit, we will have lives of joy, we will have hearts that are full of joy. Along with joy, we have extreme thankfulness. The Holy Spirit brings thankfulness. And it's not just a word lip service thankful. This is really a radical thanksgiving that we have. Why do I call it radical? Because look, it says we are commanded to be thankful always and for everything. Now, I admit, and you've heard me say this in the past few weeks, that is hard. That is difficult. But you see, that's where the proof that something amazing has happened to us. Because it is by the Holy Spirit's power that we can truly be thankful in all things. I went and visited Shirley uh, Dalton on, uh, what day was that, Friday? Thursday. I, the days just kind of melt together. She had joy in the hospital because she has Jesus. It's amazing what Christ gives us, what we have in Christ. We have lives of joy and we have lives of thankfulness in all things. 
really the verse here that we see in Ephesians chapter 5, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Really, that verse doesn't need any extra commentary. Your children can read that and know exactly what it's saying. Giving thanks always and for everything to God. So not only are we joyful and we are thankful, we are also humble. When we are filled with the Spirit, we will be humble. We will have humility. And I said this last week, and it's really kind of resonated and stuck with me. The Holy Spirit is a humble spirit. Humility. And I like what it says in verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here's what it means to be submitting or submission to one another. Your needs come before mine. It's your needs first. Think about that in marriage, where we're headed. Your needs are first. You are more important than me. You come first. You know, the world is not fond of submission, is it? It's really not fond of humility. We'll play with it to a point, right? Oh, they're humble. But the world kind of breaks it down. They look at humility as weak oftentimes. What's amazing about that is humility is anything but weak because the perfect picture of humility is our great God, Jesus Christ. And I want to turn to Philippians chapter 2 because we hit on this just a little bit. But again, as we look at marriage... The foundation of a spirit-filled life, joy, thankfulness, humility, must be in place for marriage to work properly. Healthy marriages begin with couples who love Jesus Christ and are filled with the Spirit. And if humility is a part of that, we have to look at Christ. So Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And again, Place this in the pattern of our relationships, whether you're single today, whether you're going to be married someday, whether you won't be, singleness is also a gift. Wherever you're at in your life, place this picture of humility in how you deal with people, how we deal with one another. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but with humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And look at verse 5. This is the key. Have this mind among yourselves. Well, what is this mind we're to have? Which is yours in Christ Jesus. We are to have the mind of Christ on this. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is our perfect picture of humility. And Paul is telling us to have the same mind as Christ. Look at his example. Verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, or he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Let that absorb into your brain for a second. God Almighty emptied himself, made himself nothing, and took the form of a servant. Husbands, are you a servant? Wives, are you a servant? Christ is our example. And it says that, this is amazing. It says that he didn't count equality with God a thing to be held on to. He didn't go kicking and screaming. He wasn't holding on saying, no, don't take me there. Don't send me there. Have you ever done something kicking and screaming? You did it, but you weren't real happy about it. Ever done something beneath your pay grade? Any of you ever watch Undercover Boss? Katie and I will watch it every once in a while, and it's funny to see executives trying to load a truck or work an assembly line, work a call center, or spend eight hours a day doing hard manual labor. When you watch the show, all these executives will say something like this at the end, I can't wait to get back to my office. I can't wait to get back. You see, these executives can't last a week in an environment that's different than what they're used to. They miss their office. But look what Jesus did. He left heaven and he left willingly. Like the song that we sing when we sing Glorious Christ, you left the air of heaven to breathe the dust of earth. You dwelt among the outcast and the poor. You came to be forsaken and you died to take our curse. Jesus willingly and he humbly came to earth. Me? I don't want to leave California. I'm happy here. Unless it's a significant upgrade in comfort and beauty, I want to stay put. Hey, move to Elko, Nevada. No. Hey, how about no? Sorry. If I offended people from Elko, Nevada, I, I apologize. We like our comfort. Jesus left heaven. He's our example. He didn't say, I'm not letting go. I'm not going to earth. Instead, he made himself nothing, came to earth, and humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. So let's go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Spirit-filled lives Lives that are Christ-like. This is what will empower our marriages. And let's go and look at our text. We're going to start at verse 15, just so we can have it flow in to where we're at. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, 
addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and, him, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Like I said, I think in my first line, this is quite a topic. This is quite a passage. This week is really going to be serving as a jumping point for the next time that I have the blessing of teaching. Next week we will enjoy Mark Christopher as he brings us a message from God's word. But I want to just hit some things on this passage today as an introduction. And it really will be a foundation for us to build upon. You know this passage is important as we look at our current culture, isn't it? We live in interesting times. The foundation for marriage is collapsing really before our eyes. People are confused. People are confused about gender, marriage, and family. Sadly, there are many who are now absolutely hostile to the historic biblical view of marriage. In the book, God, Marriage, and Family by Andreas Kostenberger, it says this, For the first time in history, Western civilization is confronted with the need to define the meaning of the terms marriage and family. What until now has been considered a normal family made, a, made up of a father, mother, and a number of children has in recent years begun to be viewed as one of several options. I want to tell you, this is not a political battle. This is not even a culture war. You know, in a few weeks, we're going to be looking at a passage that says this, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. These battles are spiritual battles. The enemy wants to tear down the biblical view of marriage because the covenant of marriage between a husband and a wife is a picture of Jesus Christ and the church. Again, the covenant of marriage between a husband and a wife is a picture of Jesus Christ and the church. Christ-centered, spirit-filled marriage shows the world Christ's love and the relationship that he has with us, his bride, the church. Can you see why the enemy would want to bring confusion to what marriage is? 
It's the picture of us in our relationship with Jesus Christ, which is the most beautiful thing that we have. So then what is a strong biblical definition of marriage? The Bible teaches this, that marriage is an exclusive heterosexual covenant between one man and one woman, ordained and sealed by God, preceded by the leaving of parents, consummated in sexual union, issuing a permanent, mutually supportive partnership, and if God wills, the gift of children. Now, I came up with that definition through reading a whole bunch of different definitions from good churches, from good authors, but there's some key things. Marriage is a covenant. It's permanent and it's sacred. We belong to Christ. And he is first above all things. And our earthly marriage is a picture of the greatest relationship that we have. Our relationship with Jesus Christ. We, the church, are the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. Now I want to share something. I know that probably all of us have someone who we love strong, who, someone who we love who strongly disagrees with what I just said and what we believe. Now, we just said that this isn't a political issue, and we understand this to be true, but in the world, this has become a political issue, hasn't it? You notice when something becomes a political issue, it becomes almost impossible to have calm dialogue. Hyperbole, irrational arguments start occurring, really on all sides. But I want to say this very strongly and sincerely. Holding to a biblical definition of marriage does not mean that I hate homosexuals. I don't. The church should not hate homosexuals. The church should not hate people. Why? We have good news for people. We have good news for sinners. Whatever your brand of sin is, Christ came and died for it. Jesus Christ came to seek and save the lost. To quote the song I just quoted, he dwelt among the outcast and the poor. Jesus died for sinners. Look at 1 Corinthians 6. 9 through 11. Now, do we proclaim, proclaim things as sinful? Yes, if the Bible says it's sinful, we are not going to disagree with God. We are going to tell the truth, truth, and we tell the truth boldly. But it is not hate to tell someone the truth. In fact, it is love. But please, brothers and sisters, do it with love. It says this, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. So Paul is laying this out. He goes, look, this is easy to deceive yourself, so don't. Don't play with God's word. Here I'm giving you truth. And we have a list here. Who doesn't inherit the kingdom? Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, 
nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And look at this. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Look what we just read. Within the list of those who will not inherit the kingdom of God, did you find yourself there in your life before Christ? If you didn't, you're lying to yourself. Guess what? In your life prior to salvation, you were firmly in that list. Ever steal something? Guilty. You made the list. Ever look on a woman or man with lust? You made the list. That's adultery. Jesus said that in Matthew. Idolatry. Have you ever put anything above God? You're guilty. Greedy. I don't know why I kind of chuckle at that. You ever been greedy? Greed comes in very interesting ways. In my family growing up, the cold pizza in the fridge where there was one piece. Why was there only just one piece left? But there's always just one. It's like a race in the morning to have pizza for breakfast. You're greedy for it. You're selfish, right? It takes over. We're guilty. All of us were dead in our trespasses and sins, right? But now we've been made alive in Christ Jesus. And look, in Christ we have been washed and made clean. In Christ we were sanctified and we were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. I have here in my notes that at this type as I was writing it out, I says, I'm realizing that I will never be able to properly now look at the key responsibilities of spirit-filled wives and spirit-filled husbands today. So I want to spend the rest of our time back in Ephesians chapter 5 looking at Jesus Christ. I want to look very closely, zero in, hone in on Jesus Christ in our passage. You see, the foundation of what Jesus Christ has done is crucial for living our lives in a manner that pleases God. And so it's good for the church to remember what Jesus has done because it is the foundation. It is the foundation of how we live our lives, whether we're single or we're married. Now, the context of our passage is marriage. But look at Jesus, and please, husbands, look at Jesus and see what that means for you. Wives, look at Jesus and see what that means for you. Again, we are spirit-filled when we're in Christ. So let's see. Look at verses 25 through 29. I want to dial in on the six verbs that describe the saving grace of our Savior. Because when we keep our eyes on Jesus, it's the foundation for a healthy marriage. So let's look. The first is this. Jesus loved. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Jesus loved. It's our first verb. First action that we're looking at. Then it says this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Isn't it interesting that this verb is past tense? 
You know, I think sometimes we look at this passage and we just immediately zero in on husbands and wives, which is a good thing to do. But I think sometimes it's easy to maybe gloss over the glories of Christ in this passage. And it says this, Jesus loved. Well, you say, well, that's past tense. Does Jesus love me now? Thank you. But why loved? It isn't an accident that it's in the past tense. And here's why it's in the past tense. The cross proves that Jesus loved us. The cross proved that Jesus loved us. Romans 5, what's it say? While we were still weak, Christ died at the right time. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. It goes on. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ demonstrated and he proved his love for us at the cross. We could be confident in the love of Christ for us today. Why? Because of the love that he showed and proved for us at the cross. We are confident in Christ's love for us today because he loved us by dying on the cross. He loved us, and now we know he loves us. He proved it. And it ties in perfectly with the second verb. Jesus gave himself. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He gave himself up. Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her. He gave himself up. Think of this. I keep repeating it because it's mind-blowing. God Almighty gave himself up, surrendered his life. You see, this idea here is similar to one who willingly gives up. We have a lot of police officers and sheriffs in our, in our, in our congregation Really, the handling of a fugitive, which wasn't Jesus. Jesus was perfect. But fugitives are handled with very few options. Oftentimes, they run and they go out with a fight. And we actually kind of almost really enjoy watching car chases on YouTube and such. You say, oh, look at that. They're running. Is that someone who gives up? No, they're not going out with a fight, without a fight. Or there are those who willingly... Turn themselves in. This idea that Jesus gave himself up carries the same idea that he willingly gave himself in. He turned himself in. How do we know this? John 10, 18. Jesus said this. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. You see what this text is saying about Jesus? He loved us and he proved his love by laying down his life and dying for us. Now think about this. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus Christ has a specific and a special love for his church and for his people. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We're going to hit this more next time. 
But here's what it says. Husbands, lay down your life for your wife. As Christ laid himself down for the church. Christ's death was very specific. It is personal. Christ died for you. He died for you. Jesus loved me, loves me, he loved me, and he died for me. This is what this verse clearly says. So do you have the love of Jesus? Do you have this love? If you don't, call out to Jesus and he will give it to you. This is a specific, a specific personal love. Repent of your sins, run to the cross, because it's at the cross where Jesus paid for your sins. He loved you. And died on the cross. So we'll hit further next time on how we as husbands lay down our lives for your wife. But see how specific it is? Christ died for the church, He died for His people, the ones He loves. And why? Our third verb sanctify. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her for this purpose. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her. The purpose of Christ's death, death is this, that we would be made pure and holy, that we would be set apart. We've been cleansed by the washing of water with the word, it says. We've been made alive. We've been made new. We have been sanctified, and we're now new. Why did he do this? Let's move to the next one. Because this is awesome. So that he might present the church to himself. Present. The purpose of our sanctification and being made clean is this. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. I love this word. This verb present. It means to stand alongside. What is that a picture of? When the bride walks down, dressed in white, and then you stand along your, alongside your husband, you stand alongside your bride. You know, I've done two weddings. I think I kind of shared that they're, they're stressful. You get one shot. You really don't want to mess it up. It's a special day. Knowing what it is that you're representing to, that you're showing Christ's love for the church at the same time as you're marrying someone, it, it's kind of a responsibility. It's, it's a pretty big deal. And man, if you mess it up, man, you've got mother-in-laws and mothers and all kinds of people ready to just pound you. You're like, oh, man, the pastor messed up. That's not good. By the way, I meant to say this. My father-in-law and my mother-in-law are here today. And I, you know, it's, it's uh, go ahead. I, I, it's worth doing that. Um, I meant to say this at the first, but I really get a game face on as I walk. Something changes from there to here, and it's pretty intense. But um, uh, can I just thank you for, the, for your, um, your marriage lasting? Uh, it's a, you know, we all know it's God's grace. It's God's grace that Karen and I don't kill each other. Um, <laughs> and um, just, yeah, I know. That's right. <laughs> But anyways, thank you. It's, uh, you've been a great example, and we love you. So uh, now you're embarrassed, and I apologize for that a little bit. 
But the verb present. Guys, your marriage might be hard right now. But don't tell me that you weren't beaming the moment your bride walked down that aisle. You know, everyone's looking at the bride. I always tell the, I always tell the groom, I'm like, hey, no one's looking at you right now. I go, this is your chance to breathe, fix your tie, do what you got to do. They're all looking at the bride. Why? Because she's being presented in splendor in a gorgeous wedding dress. And the husband's just beaming. Most cry. Why? Because this beautiful bride is coming. Jesus Christ died for us. And he sanctified us so that we would be his beautiful bride. You know, I think sometimes if you keep that in mind, marriage gets hard. But you have a beautiful bride, husbands. Cherish her. Well, getting ahead of myself. We've been made clean so that we would be presented to Jesus in splendor without spot or wrinkle. Christ cleans and sanctifies us that we would stand beside him at the wedding. We stand in splendor, we stand in glory, we stand in honor and holiness, and we are presented without spot or blemish. No moral fault, no guilt. I seem to be full of songs today, must be part of the worship guy. That happens. We're presented like this, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. We're pure and without blemish because Christ has sanctified us. Let's go on. Verse 27, we just saw that, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. What does Christ do? He nourishes and he cherishes. Let's start with nourish. Christ cares for us and he gives us all that we need. Christ cares for us and he gives us all that we need. Haven't we seen that in Ephesians? Right from the start. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He cares for us. He looks after our needs as if they were his needs. He gives us all we need for growth. Do you know you don't have to be stagnant in your walk with Christ? Where do we find nourishment? From the word of God. Get your nourishment. Take your vitamins. Take your iron supplement. This is where life is. This is where nourishment comes from. We seek nourishment from junk food. And it doesn't work. 
Go to the word of God. This gift brings life. It brings health. It brings strength. Strength for the journey that we have till we see heaven. But we have all we need. We're not starved or deprived. We're not in thirst for his living water. We're not parched. We have rivers available. We have steaks available. To use the analogy of good food. You like tri-tip? You like good food, good nourishment? Maybe that's not like, you want broccoli? There we go, that's already better. <laughs> Spinach? Kale? All the green leafy vegetables. This is our nourishment. Do you see the picture? Don't deprive yourself of good food. Go to God's word and he gives it to us. Jesus provides for his church. He provides and he nourishes. You know, as a father with daughters who are moving towards, you know, the marrying age, at least the oldest is moving that way. And I'm seeing friends having their daughters get engaged and we celebrate that and, and we're excited and, and uh, I'm not looking at anyone or anything like that. Um, but it kind of makes, well, one, it makes me feel old. <laughs> but, uh, but as a father, it starts to take on a, a different seriousness. And you want to know if this man will provide for my daughter. Will he cherish her? Will he love her? Why? It's a picture of Jesus and the church. We provide as husbands. We care for our families. That's what Jesus has done for us. He cares for us. He doesn't leave us empty. He nourishes and then this. Jesus cherishes us. And I love this. You know what the word cherish really means? It means to make warm. To make warm. It shows the tender care that Jesus gives us, that Jesus gives the church. Jesus gives us special attention. Isn't that amazing? Even in this room, we're not huge. Each of us receives special attention from Jesus. Why? Because he's God Almighty. And who is the comforter? The Holy Spirit. We're just speaking of being filled with the Spirit. The Spirit is within us, providing comfort. Jesus cherishes us. So as we look at marriage, I hope you see why I wanted to first choose to focus on Jesus Christ. He is the foundation for our marriages. Now we will look at the instructions given to wives and to husbands, but the foundation is Christ foundation is that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. The foundation is what we've already studied, that we are blessed in Christ, that we've been forgiven, 
that we were dead in our sins, but now we've been made alive. The foundation for marriage is this, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one would boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for a good marriage. Because it says, for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God prepared for us, if you are married, you have a spouse prepared for you. So walk in love. You've been given everything you need. See the foundation here? Here's another one. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Christ is the foundation. And when we speak of spirit-filled marriages, turn to Galatians 5. Paul likes lists. We saw one earlier in 1 Corinthians. Let's look at the works of the flesh. Because in verse 16 it says this, but now I say, walk by the Spirit. Again, just controlled by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit continually. This is what Christians do. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify or fulfill the desires of the flesh. Now here it says, jump down to verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. The works of the flesh are clear. Here they are. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now look at that list and apply that to marriage. Let's just take one. Fits of anger. Does that make for a healthy marriage? No, thank you. Envy. Drunkenness. Strife. Jealousy. Idolatry. Immorality. These are what destroy marriages. Destroys them. But, verse 22, let's look at a different list. As those who are filled with the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have killed the flesh, crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Okay, we saw the bad list, but look at the fruit that the Spirit provides that the Spirit gives. This is what we produce as believers. We are filled with the Spirit. And the fruit, any of you plant a fruit tree? What happens if you plant a lemon tree? It's no big surprise, you're gonna get lemons. 
If you have the spirit, fruit's going to come out and it won't be a big surprise. And God's word tells us what that fruit is. And let me ask you, what will this do to your marriage if your life is filled with the fruit of the spirit? Let's start with this love. Oh, it's just tragic. When you see a couple and we're not in love anymore. All right, let's go back to square one. Why did you get married? What did you love about them? Go back to God's word. Well, husbands love your wives, so we got to fix this because this is what God's word says. So let's start peeling the onion. But what about when love is present? You know what else it brings? Joy. Love. Joy. I hope your marriages are joyful. You know, by God's grace, you know, if you spend hours in our house, you would know that it'd actually kind of be kind of scary. But we love each other very much, and we have joy. We laugh a lot. Now, are we perfect? <laughs> no. No, not even close. But joy. Love and joy. If, if you just, you know, sometimes we get in a fight, and my, my, yeah, I know, can you believe that? I'm sorry. Confession time. But my operation is to just get her to laugh. And she kind of gets upset. You always make me laugh when I'm mad at you. There's joy. There's joy in the Lord. Love, joy, peace. Some of you just need to calm down. <laughs> the Spirit brings peace. Is everything really the deal you think it is? Now, there are big deals in life. I'll give you that. But not everything is a big deal. Peace. What about peace in finances? Ooh, did you really have to go there? Finances can be rough in a marriage. Have peace, because my God will provide for all your needs. Love, joy, peace, patience. And I know the old joke, don't ever pay, pray for patience because then you're going to get tested like nobody's business. But the fruit of the Spirit is patience. We need to be a patient people. Does it take patience for a marriage to work properly? Yes. My family needs tremendous patience with me. Kindness. We studied that. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. Kindness. Don't ever underestimate kindness. There is such a lack of kindness in the world, and sadly, sometimes in the church. Be kind. Do you have to be mean? Kind words. We teach our kids that. Hey, be kind. All right, husbands, be kind. Wives, be kind. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Goodness, be good to one another. Faithfulness, be faithful in your marriage. We're faithful to Christ. Christ is faithful to us, so we are faithful to our spouse. Gentleness, don't be harsh. 
Don't throw the hammer down. Be gentle. Self-control. Not everything needs to be said. You don't always have to say what you're thinking. James, oh, what a fire is caused by the tongue. What destruction. So keep your mouth closed. Proverbs 10, where there are many words, sin is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Good verses to know. It's part of gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Hey, spirit-filled marriage. The works of the flesh destroy marriage. The fruit of the spirit builds it up. So walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And how do we do this? Be nourished by the word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to change you as he reveals Jesus Christ in the word of God. You know, marriage is tough. But then on the other hand, it's kind of clear. Walk by the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And God will guide and direct. And when we sin, we forgive. Be Christ-like in our dealings with one another. Be Christ-like in our dealings with our spouse. And health will come. So, I hope I didn't scare anyone away. Come back in uh, two weeks. We'll be here next week because it's going to be awesome. We're going to have a potluck and we're going to get be together. But then the following week, we'll be jumping back in and let's, we'll zero in then on the role of wives, the role of husbands, and how Christ at the center makes it work. It's going to be good. All right? Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. But Father, I, I'm just, I hope too, that we as your people are just overwhelmed and thankful for, for Jesus. What a gift we've been given. Lord, you're so good. You loved us and died on the cross. You gave yourself up for us for the purpose that we would be your beautiful bride, made clean, made holy, that we would be presented perfect before you. Father, that's awesome. It's amazing what you've done for us, that you've washed us and you've made us clean through the cross. Father, thank you that you cherish us and you nourish us. You don't leave us starving. You don't leave us in need, but you provide everything we need. Thank you that we are your bride. Thank you for what that picture is and what that means for our marriages. Father, be with us as we take a journey through your word so that we would be more like you, so that we would be pleasing in all that we say and do as we live our lives. In glory to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.